Did you begin the new year vowing to get more involved in 2017? As the inauguration of a new president approaches, are you still feeling motivated to take action? And if so, what actions? I'm Barbara Dundon for the 20 by 70 podcast. It's a January day and I'm at Dilworth Plaza outside Philadelphia City Hall. Let's see what people have to say. I'm doing a survey to find out if in your New Year's resolutions you considered getting involved somehow in politics or political issues? Politics and political issues? Mm, not really, actually. No, <laughs> I don't think so. No. Not really, no. Nah, it's a dirty business. I stay out of it. Oh, not at all. Why not I just don't think I could do much to help. Uh, no, no, because that's, that's just not my, my cup of tea. <laughs> I think not. No, I monitor them fairly closely, but I don't, not really, I don't get involved too much. I read the paper every day and look online and follow articles and watch the news. CNN, this past cycle, CNN was pretty much all I watched until the election. <laughs> then I stopped watching so much. Um, personally, um, I don't care that much, uh, honestly. I want to be informed. I would love to be well informed, but as a person to do something about it, I'm not really in the right mindset, personally. Hmm. Apathy has broken out to a big early lead, but let's talk to this group of students on break from Kutztown University. I don't know. I would like to be more educated on political topics. And I kind of try to educate myself as much as possible, but I don't really think of actively going and, like, doing it. Um, not so much getting involved, but more of, like, uh, understanding more and learning more about that, though. Uh, just studying, and even I want to take a course at college about, uh, like, political science. So I would plan to do that, yeah. Oh, boy. But let's stick with it. Let's talk to Amy from Chicago. Have you, in your New Year's resolutions, considered getting more involved in politics or political activity of any kind? Absolutely. Tell me more about that. Well, I just feel like given everything that's happened lately, um, I was very disappointed. But I also felt like I was very apathetic in terms of getting involved and contacting my state legislature, letting them know what were my, you know, areas of concern. So that's one thing that I do want to do more of this year. You hit the nail on the button. <laughs> yeah. Well, that felt better. So let's try one more. Let's hear from Khalil, a journalist originally from Dubai who became a citizen seven months ago. This country, he says, is something uh, close to the paradise. And my son is here. Now he's 13 years old. He's very happy. When I tell him, let's go back to Dubai, he starts crying. I mean, this country gives you a lot of uh, opportunities. Even people who come from Salvador, Nicaragua, with nothing, they start to see life, they start to live here. So, breathing oxygen of liberty, getting some food, bread and everything, smiling in the face of their kids at the end of the day and everything. This is a good thing. Yes, a good thing that's worth some effort to keep going. So for some suggestions on how to shake off inertia and do something useful for democracy, Let's send it back to the Committee of 70 headquarters and our host, Chris Satulo. Thanks, Barbara. I am, in fact, Chris Satulo, and this is 20 by 70, the scrappy little podcast for people who expect more 
from Philadelphia. And it's good to be with you all in the new year. You know, listening to that litany of excuses for standing on the sideline that Barbara recorded at City Hall, I can't help but be struck by the contrast with the notes of urgency and optimism that Barack Obama struck in his farewell address just a few days ago. All of this depends on our participation, on each of us accepting the responsibility of citizenship, regardless of which way the pendulum of power happens to be swinging. Our Constitution is a remarkable, beautiful gift. But it's really just a piece of parchment. It has no power on its own. We, the people, give it power. We, the people, give it meaning with our participation and with the choices that we make and the alliances that we forge, whether or not we stand up for our freedoms, whether or not we respect and enforce the rule of law. That's up to us. America is no fragile thing, but the gains of our long journey to freedom are not assured. I'm also reminded of the famous statement Benjamin Franklin supposedly made in 1787. As he emerged from the Constitutional Convention at Independence Hall, just a short walk from here, a woman asked him, Doctor, what have you given us? A republic, madam, if you can keep it, old Ben replied. A republic, if you can keep it. The task of keeping the republic has been upheld by many an American generation and passed down to the next until it has today reached us. Unworthy us. Yes, the work is difficult, and sometimes we may feel we lack the patience, the knowledge, or the courage to succeed at it. But that is no excuse to shun it. In this, our first episode of 20 by 70 in the new year, to buck up your democratic courage, we thought we'd tell you about ideas we here at the Committee of 70 have for tending to the health of the republic, and of this, our beloved city, its birthplace. We're also going to hear about some promising ideas that others are proposing in hopes of promoting a more perfect union. We'll hear from Allison Perlman of an energetic young group called Philadelphia 3.0 and from Tim Wisniewski, who studied a very interesting idea for better elections called rank choice voting. And hey, I don't know about you, but after last year, I'm all about ideas for more satisfying elections. But first, as always, I'm joined by the top dog of the Committee of 70, Philadelphia's Civic Yoda, David Thornburg. Yo, David. Chris, how are you? I'm doing good. So, David, first we wanted to get at what you've been thinking about after this uh, tough election year in 2016, about what the Committee of 70 is going to work on. Well, let me start by stringing together some uh, unlikely uh, partners. My takeaway from the presidential election is that in the candidacy of Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, there was a call for political renewal. There was a, a sense that we have to do something different. I'm going to link that to what the president said the other night in the closing, and I thought a very emotional and effective closing. He said, it's time to be a better citizen. So I put those three things together, and I think it is time for there – is a, there is out there a call for political renewal, and I think that's what the Committee of 70 uh, needs to respond to, and we all need to think about how we respond to that 
that call as citizens. And I got a couple of ideas along those lines. I'm shocked to hear that, but go ahead, <laughs> tell us about it, Dave. So here's the thing. First of all, rather than just get yourself stewing your own juices, you have to do something. You have to do something different. Whether that's, you know, encourage that naysayer friend of yours to register to vote, whether that's to show up in an event that you haven't showed up to before, whether that's to sign a petition around something or other, whether that's to, you know, think seriously about running for a, a low-level local office. So that's, that's step one, like act. First mm -hmm. step, act. Get off the dime. That's right. Yeah. Second thing is, uh, you know, you don't want to act and, and get involved in a system that's broken, where the rules are working against you. So you owe yourself and us a little bit of time to think about and learn about the rules of the game. This should lead you into a discussion about something like gerrymandering and redistricting uh, or the way we vote or the fact that we have three do-nothing city commissioners in this, uh, in this city who are supposedly working to uh, administer and improve our elections. So you got to invest a little bit of time and energy in the rules of the game. From that, you then should be well positioned to change your expectation and attitude about life in this city and in this country, which leads you to what's the motto? What's the what's the tagline of this? I uh, do believe, David, it's expect more exactly. Philadelphia. Yeah. That's what we're headed to. We're headed to it's time to expect more of ourselves, of our city, and the system, uh, the fragile system, the American experiment that uh, – that, that we have used to, to govern us over the last 240 years. Okay, I'm getting caught up a little bit in the uh, momentum of your words. And the swelling music. Exactly that. But give me some uh, concrete details then about what that means, about what you're doing and what you're looking for uh, help and support for people. Right. Start with gerrymandering. What are you doing about gerrymandering? Here? So what can be done? Is Pennsylvania right. bad in this regard? Pennsylvania is like the poster child for bad. Mm -hmm. uh, literally, you read the books or read the articles about where gerrymandering has run amok and led to this hyper-partisanship, and we're literally like the first chapter. So there's a couple things. One is we're part of a really interesting broad-based movement called Fair Districts PA, which is gathering people from around the Commonwealth to learn about and get active uh, and, and is pushing towards something that we think would make a difference, which is a citizens' commission uh, to draw the legislative and congressional line. So replace the self-interested uh, partisan politicians with regular old citizens. To encourage that, as you know, because we've been working on this together, mm -hmm. we're trying to form this uh, draw the lines, uh, series of draw the lines competitions or events around the Commonwealth where we get people together, could be a Cub Scout troop, a high school civics class, a college fraternity, whatever, a senior citizen's home, and, you know, spend a half day on a Saturday, like literally grappling with how you draw the legislative boundaries that would make more sense. Right. So we'd literally put um, the computerized tools in people's hands to draw a map with exactly the same information yeah. that the politicians yeah. use. And the tragic thing is that a uh, Cub Scout troop that you mentioned could probably do a better job <laughs> than the uh, Pennsylvania legislature. Well, we would did. have more confidence uh, in the uh, right. in the outcome, I think. All right, so let let's just review a little bit what the timing is on this. Uh, when do the lines get drawn next? Well, it's after the next census, which occurs in 2020. Uh, probably Pennsylvania will lose a congressional seat, so that adds a little interesting intrigue to the whole process. So in 2021. Uh, the legislature or this new Citizens Commission or something will have to produce a new set of 
uh, maps for the so map maps both for the congressional districts yep. and for the state legislative yep. seats, the Senate and the, the yeah. House. The, the tricky thing is to change this to a citizens commission will require a change to the Pennsylvania Constitution, Oops. which is among yeah, which is among the hardest things in the world to change. So uh, that needs to happen uh, essentially by 2020. It has to go through the legislature twice. What we're trying to do at 70, I think, in, in fair districts is simply get people engaged, aware, and involved uh, in, in this process, which leads me to part two, a, a favorite of mine. We are going to be producing a Draw the Lines coloring book, mm -hmm. uh, a, a so-called adult coloring book um, that reveals to people— Which, this, if you this, don't know it, are all the rage right now. Oh, I yeah. I bought my wife one for Christmas. She's, Literally. She's dutifully yeah. coloring away in a the evenings. Absolutely. So, Rather than listening to me, I might add. So yeah. this should get people more familiar with these bizarre inkblot shapes that we have used for these congressional legislative Right. So the, the coloring book, the whole Draw the Lines idea, is partly just to let people know that this isn't as mysterious and out of their reach— as they might think it is, yeah. based on the way it gets covered by the political press. Yep. The ordinary person who can work their laptop can sit down and draw a constitutionally acceptable or map. Or even if you can pick up a crayon right, and exactly. literally connect the dots, you yeah. too can draw yeah. a map. That's yeah. the way it's supposed to be, and I think we're trying to model the, the process uh, in, its, in its best form. Okay, so you also talked about the a little bit about having a form of elections that's that's better, or that would be more satisfying. So what are you working on, or what well, are you we're thinking about there? We're going to talk about this uh, later with, uh, with Tim Wisniewski, but, you know, we're in this situation in Philadelphia where we have a one-party town, uh, and for municipal elections, we have very low turnout, particularly for primary elections. So we look at, like, the district attorney's race next year. There are four or five candidates. Turnout will probably be around a depressing level of maybe 10%. So you do the math, and we may elect a district attorney with maybe 30 or 35,000 votes out of a million registered voters in Philadelphia. That just seems wrong and bizarre. So the question is, there are a number of interesting, uh, you know, voting is a, is a state and local mandated activity. You look around the, the, the country, uh, there are some uh, states that have so-called open primaries or nonpartisan primaries. Everybody in the pool, registered Democrat, Republican, what have you. And then Tim is going to talk about uh, this interesting variation, which is called ranked choice voting, which is a, uh, arguably a better way uh, of coming to a public judgment about a candidate than just the sort of winner-take-all, first-to-the-finish line right. uh, kind of thing. So, so so going back to your list of a couple of minutes ago, the third thing on the list, and it wouldn't be a 20 by 70 podcast if we didn't bring these folks up, the city commissioners. That's still on the agenda. Well, for yeah, uh, and, and you know, we'll talk to uh, uh, Allison Perlman about that in, in a minute, but this is a serious effort that we have undertaken to reform and improve and make more efficient the process of uh, leading and shaping how we vote here in Philadelphia. We have three city commissioners. They each get paid about $140,000 a year. One of them literally never shows up for work. Uh, and in the expect more category, this we should rank this high on the list of abominations. This should just not be. Right. So um, let's let's uh, bring Allison Perlman of Philadelphia 3.0 in here, both to give us a little more uh, context and, and flavor on that issue, and also to demonstrate that these issues are of interest to people other than middle-aged white guys <laughs> with glasses. So let's welcome Allison Perlman. 
So, Allie, welcome to 20 by 70. Happy to be here, David. So, uh, tell us a little bit about Philly 3.0, where it came from, mission, uh, purpose, sure. leadership. Absolutely. So, Philadelphia 3.0 was an idea that was germinated for a few years before it officially launched. And which the, is a couple years ago. Which is a couple right? years ago. We la launched in March of 2015. So, the, the idea was, or the question that these folks were trying to solve for was, uh, why is the political system in Philadelphia uniquely bad? And what can we do about it? More specifically, if we were to attack sort of one main area of concern, what would that be? And this cohort identified city council and the laws that come out of city council as the biggest problem holding Philadelphia back. And as a result, they formed this organization. They brought me on as the executive director, and we've been grinding ever since. So your first round of activities at 3.0 were you, you, you backed some uh, council candidates, maybe some reform candidates, some outsiders, some, uh, some relative yep. newcomers. Uh, how'd that experience go and what'd you learn from that experience? The experience was tremendous. What we learned is that, we learned a few things. We learned, number one, that there are candidates who are willing to put their necks out and run for city council if they feel like they have a reasonable shot of winning. No one wants to go up against a meat grinder. And for a lot of people who have otherwise successful professional lives, the thought of jumping into politics is, as it is for anyone, daunting, but they have something to fall back on. And so historically, I think it's been the sense that while they would sort of like ruminate with friends about what was going on politically in the city, they wouldn't actually throw their hat in the ring. Um, I think there was more of a sense in 2015, in part because of 3.0's position in the race, that some of those folks could jump in and have a real shot of getting over the finish line. And as a result, you saw, to my mind, the most impressive field of candidates running for specifically the at-large seats in city council. Almost too many of them. Which, oh, certainly too which many. Which should lead, no, not us, almost. Certainly lead us to yeah. a discussion about yes. ranked choice voting. Yes, absolutely. Um, how, how, the idea of, you know, whittling down from, and even uh, city council is on the ballot at the same time as the mayor, which makes it the most high information of all municipal races. But that said, it's still a very low information race. Yeah. So let's get up to date. So November uh, 8th comes and goes. Uh, the world changed uh, yeah. in a way that a lot of folks didn't expect. Um, what are you, and I know you're, uh, I don't know if, uh, I know you're, Deputy Director John Geating is that Director of Engagement. Director John of Engagement. Geating, yes, uh, have been spending a lot Chief of time. Chief people person. Chief uh, <laughs> have been spending a lot of time trying to sort of get a sense of the atmospheric conditions, where people, where mm -hmm. there's new sources of energy, and what to do with that. Kind of answering the what's the New Year's resolution post November eighth. So, yeah. talk about what you're seeing out there and how you're trying to channel that energy uh, so through some of your work. We knew, and it was, I think, sort of everyone in this room has shared the experience of being involved enough in politics that on from November 9th on, um, they found themselves in a position where they were hearing from people who aren't very involved politically, who felt um, more inclined to get involved after this election than perhaps any other election that they've experienced as an adult. John and I always knew that we were going to create an operation that could help support people run for ward committee seats, which are the lowest level seats in Philadelphia. They're the easiest on-ramp into the political system. And that race is in 2018, so we presumed that we would orient this operation to a primary 2018 campaign date. But we were hearing truly from dozens of people starting from November 9th who were young, engaged, 
do a lot in their communities, had been historically really turned off by the political system in Philadelphia, but who felt coming out of the presidential that that they had to do something. And yeah. I know that you and I sort of have shared that experience of people coming to you sort yeah. of from the day, the first day after saying, and what do I do now? Yeah. And it was easy and self-evident to us as to what we tell these people to do now, which is you, you got now you got to do it. Yeah. Like this is the time you have to do it. So this is uh, 70 and 3.0 as a political therapist. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so be so what are you, you run. what are you organizing and structuring to kind of channel that interest and energy? So we um, essentially just uh, expedited the process by which we were going to help support folks who had previously been uninclined to get involved politically, help them get on a political on ramp. So we are hosting two workshops. The same workshop run twice because it sold out. Both of them actually did. A hundred folks in both of those workshops, and we're teaching them how to run for these committee person seats. These are very nuts and bolts workshops. We're talking through this the technical specifics of running for committee person, and we're also coordinating with about 250 online, 250 people online, and providing them with, generally speaking, the same level of information. On the other side of this, what yeah. you end up with are groups of people who are really engaged, really energized, committed to running for committee person in a year, and in between now and then are going to do everything they can to perform the roles of being a good committee person, which is basically being a good political, neighborhood political block captain, and helping those folks get connected and uh, be in a good position to run. Let me pitch you the question, which I suspect you've heard. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to take over the Democratic Party? No, but we, but we recognize that one of the flaws of the the local Democratic Party is the fact that it feels so, it it feels, in some regards, really obscure and obfuscated, but also like it's behind a fortress. And so, without providing people with the tools that make them comfortable with the notion of running for committee person, you're never going to see a change in city committee, and. Um, I would say the city committees because we are a nonpartisan organization and we have both Republicans and Democrats coming to these trainings. Um, obviously, the metric is a little bit different when you talk about Democratic city committee just because of the right. tremendous registration advantage right. that they have. So that inevitably and logically leads us to a discussion of the city commissioner's uh, effort. That's our, that's and, our favorite topic. Okay. <laughs> and and uh, the Better Philly Elections Coalition yep. that 70 and 3.0 and about a dozen other civic organizations uh, have been involved in. So what's, what's your take on the, the need, the urgency, the why are we doing this, what do we hope to achieve? The need, the urgency, and the why are we doing this are sort of all the same thing, and, it's, and it's, the short answer is because we need to be better. Yeah. So you and I and the other organizations that are part of BPEC have been coordinating to create an actual department of elections that administers and oversees the way that our election system functions, with one person at the top to whom you can escalate problems. Um, and there are problems on election day. I mean, it's a really, really complex organizational yeah. maneuver. Yeah. And in the absence of um, a commitment to, towards modernizing that system, in the absence of a commitment towards having an org chart that makes sense, you're not going to be able to remedy the problems that people experience every year and as a result, we have not, and the city commissioner's office has not remedied those problems, which is why so many of the groups, as you know, who've joined our coalition have, because they've said, yeah. you know, we're kind of, we're done. Uh, and that in, this, in yeah. this day and age, Philadelphia, you know, deserves a, a, a first-class voter-centric voter experience uh, that happens once or twice a year, yeah. uh, and that uh, we should be doing this. Uh, I know we're, we're trading... Um, 
passages. Uh, but as you, as I'm sure you know, when you when you talk to people about the commissioner's office, many folks don't know what it is to start, and I sort of lead with, and they oversee elections. It's a row office. They have this one exclusive function, and I go into Anthony Clark, and then you go into the fact that you know there are problems that arise every year. Anthony Clark being the commissioner who chooses not to come to work. Who chooses not to come to right. work. Yes. Um, not only chooses not to come to work, right, doesn't have a work computer or work phone. I mean, there's really just no evidence of him doing anything, frankly, right. other than filing for uh, half a million dollars in a in drop payout. from. And here I would insert, you've got to be kidding. Yeah, I know. So, it, by the way, it has been about a year uh, mm -hmm. since a lot of these revelations came to light. Mm -hmm. um, so... I think it's uh, it's good to know that we're on the case. You're on the case, we are. Uh, and uh, let's hope that the the spring blossoms will bring uh, uh, the scent of change. You know, and I I do think that that this election it just it, it is different. Yeah. And people are coming out of this election recognizing maybe not a fragility or vulnerability to our election system, but recognizing sort of like the the core. The, the core importance of elections to who we are as Americans yeah. and where previously you could sort of do a typical Philly shrug when you heard about problems that happened in Philadelphia on Election Day, unforced errors, yeah. avoidable problems, things that other right. do not happen in other cities. I really do think coming out of this election, there is a sense that like we, we, we have to do something about right. this right. because um, this is actually uh, we have to work together well to make as, sure. this, as, we have to keep this republic as our mayor has yeah. said uh i've heard him say on a couple occasions this is the only democracy we have yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to find a way uh to make it work we do. so yeah so thanks for being with us ali perlman 3.0 you want to uh send folks to your website which is uh philadelphia3-o.org terrific yep thank you so thanks much for being with us Joining us now is Tim Wisniewski, who is Chief Data Officer for the City of Philadelphia, but for today's purposes is uh, a knowledgeable uh, thinker and practitioner of how uh, technology can improve city services. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start with the problem uh, around the way we generally vote in this country. Because that'll lead us to the solution, which you know something about, which is ranked choice voting. So what is the problem? So the problem is right now, the way that we vote, it's called a plurality system, where the winner is the candidate that gets the most votes. And the problem can be uh, that it doesn't need to be the majority of voters. So particularly in, say, a three-way race, if, let's say, one candidate gets 34% of the votes and the other candidates each get 33%, that 34% candidate is going to win, even though 66% of the voters voted for somebody else. This might actually, what we could encounter in the DA's race up in, uh, in the spring. Yes, and right. it results in a weak mandate to govern for the winner yeah. and a lot of disappointed voters. And I should slip in that Tim here is not representing the official views of the Kennedy administration, that's right. uh, but just his own and, and his own expertise. So, so th that's the problem. You have a multi-candidate race with no 50% bar, uh, and you may elect somebody with 33 or 36% of the vote, which is not exactly giving <coughs> you the, the, the chance for a mandate. That's right. Okay. So... I think that the, the sense of the problem is pretty clear. So how does that lead us to uh, ranked choice voting? And, and tell us about the mechanics of what ranked choice voting is. 
Ranked choice voting is an alternative type of election that's becoming increasingly popular in the United States, where instead of picking one candidate for a particular office, you rank the candidates in the order of your preference. Um, and when it comes time to count them, we tally up all the first choice votes. And if one of the candidates has a majority of the voters' support, they win. And in that case, it's just like the current system. Mm -hmm. But the whole goal here is to get a candidate that has the majority, the, the support of a majority of the voters. More so, than 50%. That's right. That's yeah. right. So if, if you add up all the first choice votes and not one of them has more than 50%, then what you do, and this is where ranked choice voting really shines, you eliminate the candidate with the fewest votes. They lose. And all of the voters who voted for for that candidate as their first choice, we take their ballots and give them to their second choice candidates. And then we look at the numbers again, and if one of them has more than 51%, they win. If not, we repeat the process and remove the candidate with the fewest number of votes and redistribute them. Is this a newfangled idea that just somebody thought up a couple of years ago? No, or? it's not. In fact, uh, there's some cities in the United States who've been voting this way since uh, the 1940s, such as Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, it's, it's growing in popularity recently. Uh, in the United States, but even outside the United States, it's in use in countries like Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, Scotland, and it's been in use for a while there. Hmm. So, so I'm intrigued, Tim. Tell me more. What, what, what are the? Why has this not caught on at least to date more in the United States? Are there, are there practical issues? Are there cost issues? What's, what's the barrier to uh, implementation? One of them that is often cited is the counting process can be confusing to explain and to grasp. Um, and you might be quick to dismiss that and just say, oh, well, you know, we're just going to have to learn how to do that. But if that's the sort of thing that can disproportionately impact particularly communities or particular neighborhoods uh, with uh, lower levels of education, uh, that is a significant thing that, that needs to be addressed. Um, and the Center for Civic Design is an organization that's recently done some usability testing around ranked choice ballots and has some really interesting research on that. Um, however, I, I do think it's something we can overcome and something that is not new with ranked choice voting. Frankly, just look at our ballot questions and try to tell me that we're really making it easy for people to vote. Uh, not to mention the Electoral College, like whose idea was that? <laughs> um, Maybe it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> yeah, it might be one of those. Um, well, so uh, is this something that voters seem to respond to? What's it, what's it in, in those cities where it's been implemented? What's it do to turnout? It has. It, it, there have been studies that show that turnout has increased, uh, but to be honest with you, many of the cities who have been using it uh, implemented it within the last decade or so, so it's, it's still too early to tell in some of them. Uh, but there have been case studies that demonstrate that it does increase voter turnout. San Francisco is probably the largest city that's implemented ranked choice voting, isn't it? I think it must be, yeah. However, uh, just a few, a couple months ago, the state of Maine voters adopted ranked choice voting for the entire state. So mm -hmm. the way that they elect their representatives in Congress and their senators and state level officials will be entirely through ranked choice voting. Uh, the system can even work for states electing the president because of the way the electoral college works um, and certainly for local offices. And as far as its potential benefits in terms of turnout, I think it is worth mentioning some of the advantages beyond just the basic winners have a stronger mandate. I mean, that is important. When you win, you know that your winning represents a, strong, a larger portion of the voters' choices or preferences. Uh, but one of my favorite examples is that it, it opens the playing field to third-party candidates. You can have more candidates participating because it removes the spoiler effect and voters can vote for a third-party candidate without feeling like they're wasting their vote. They can put the third-party candidate as their first choice and if that candidate doesn't have a shot, 
then their ballot's going to go to their second choice, and they don't have to worry about wasting their vote there. Uh, so that's one of the biggest advantages. There's also uh, less mudslinging. I mean, we saw in these recent elections some of the most mudslinging that we've seen in American elections to date. Fueled by $6.5 billion worth of campaign contributions, yes. I might add. Hey, it's effective, though. That buys a lot of mud. Yes, it does. The thing with ranked choice voting is when you're running for office, you don't just want to appeal to your base because you also want people to put you as their second choice beyond your base. So effectively, negative campaigning becomes bad politics, becomes bad political strategy. Mm. And you have candidates who are more reasonable and less attacking of their competitors. I mean, one of the things that we've noted, and uh, Holly Otterbein from Philadelphia Magazine wrote a great piece a little while ago about this, there are almost as many independent voters in Philadelphia as there are registered Republicans. Oh, wow. And they're shut out, essentially, of the primary. partisan primary process. So in a ranked choice voting scheme, they would be uh, welcomed and included. In, uh, yeah, that's one of the, heard. the most intriguing things about ranked choice voting is it really eliminates the need to have a primary election which also eliminates the need from a, a cost perspective for an elections administrator, not to mention voters are only asked to turn out once per year instead of twice per year, and the impact that that alone could have on voter turnout is pretty intriguing. Yeah, fascinating. So in this Donald Trumpian world that we're moving into, are you more or less optimistic that an idea, an intriguing idea like this might have a, a time in the sun? I think I'm more optimistic because uh, – Donald Trump won with 13.3 million votes in the primary races, but 16 million were cast against him. Yeah. Um, and studies have been done that suggest if ranked choice voting were employed, it would have been a very different outcome for the yeah. primary races. And I think people are more, it's on their mind now as yeah. a result of it. But here's the best part. It doesn't require the federal government to implement ranked choice oh, voting. Interesting. This is something that states and even cities can implement. And that's that's how it's been implemented so we So could far. do this just in Philadelphia. That's we right. could do this statewide. We could do this for all races, including presidential. You could do it for some races. That's right. I mean, the logistics get a little more complicated. but That's right. So uh, you and I were talking earlier. There is a new uh, meetup among people who are interested in ranked choice voting. So go to Facebook. I think that's something people can get involved in. And uh, I just saw the other day, maybe you saw these, the Philadelphia Citizen uh, has done a couple of pieces about ranked choice voting oh, I uh, as well. Great. Yes, Steve St. Vincent has written a few. So Oh, I'll have to check those out. I'd also recommend people check out fairvote.org. They're kind of the, the leaders in ranked choice voting. They have a ton of uh, resources on there, explainers, videos. RankedChoiceVoting.org is another one that has good resources for election administrators. And CivicDesign.org is a great place if you're interested in the usability of elections and, and how ballot design works and how to make the experience of voting easier to understand and more equitable. It's great. FairVote was a participant in this uh, American Experiments challenge that we did during the DNC. Is that uh, right? With Code for Philly and some other folks. Oh, yeah. I, I was there and I missed them? Oh, yeah. No, they oh, were there. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Oh, wow. I would have yeah, loved they're, uh, I have to <laughs> say one thing about the Ranked Choice Voting folks. They're very passionate. Yes. yes uh, there's a lot right. of earnest passion uh, and seems to be well-directed. Well, thanks for being with us and helping to untangle some of the mysteries and the potential of this really uh, intriguing new way of voting. Absolutely. Thank thanks, you. Tim. Thanks, David and Tim. And that's it, our first podcast of 2017. We're pleased to tell you we plan to turn these puppies out at a more prolific rate this year, one roughly every three weeks. 
And beginning with next time, we'll have a new studio to call home at Kelly Writer's House on the Penn campus. Pretty fired up about that. Pretty fired up that you're listening, too. If you like what you heard and want to go back and hear any older episodes you missed, you can find the goods on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And if you like what you hear, please consider doing this for us. Tell your Facebook choir or your Twitter flock to give 20 by 70 a try. Anyhow, a podcast like this happens because a lot of people work really hard. Thanks, first of all, to our intrepid woman on the street and this episode's producer, Barbara Dundon. And mad props to our senior producer, Sophie Reed, who just last week gave birth to her first child, Felicity Alice. Reports are that little Felicity took even longer to finally arrive in our world than your average 20 by 70 podcast. But now both mom and daughter are doing absolutely fabulous, and that makes us really glad. Let's also extend thanks to our guests, Allie Perlman of Philadelphia 3.0 and Tim Wisniewski of the City of Philadelphia. And as always, thanks for the wit and wisdom of 70s intrepid head honcho David Thornburg and to 70s hardworking staff and volunteers. Again, I don't know about you, but here at 20 by 70, we plan to keep plugging away at this Keep the Republic stuff. Got to make Dr. Franklin proud. So until next time, here's the deal. Expect more Philadelphia. Philadelphia.